Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and giving excerpts about the exception. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, enjoy. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. How's it everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. In our last episode, we started talking about digital marketing maturity and the key components for success to happen, one being leadership. Today, we continue with the conversation with my next guest, Nomonde Nkola. Nomonde is a seasoned IT executive with a career that spans across consulting, systems integration, telco, and specialist banking industry. She has worked for brands such as Accenture, Dimension Data, Vodacom, and Investec. She currently assumes the role of country manager at MicroStrategy South Africa and is a business partner to Ant Hill Capital Private Equity Investors. She sits on a number of boards and she's also the MD and founder of Monday Speaks. She's currently in a final year with Wits Business School, completing a PhD in leadership and digital transformation. So definitely a subject matter expert in all things digital transformation. And we are incredibly fortunate to have her on the podcast today. How's it, Noms? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Audrey. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. Noms, you have an impressive bio. How do you make the time to, to get involved in so many different initiatives, as well as having your own digital talk show, which I understand is a radio talk show called Digital Drive with Noms? How do you do all these things? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> and I'm happy because we were discussing it before going on air. But I think it's really a function of what are you really passionate about and feel strongly about it sounds cliche but it's the truth i think when you feel like listen my areas of interest are digital there's a space to talk about digital you know and the opportunity has been afforded um, you do it and i think also in terms of the studying part of going digital for me i did because I got so tired of hearing people talk about digital transformation. I was like, <laughs> everybody talks about digital transformation and it means different things to different people. And I was like, what does it actually mean? And in starting the show and doing the studies, I just thought I wanted to define it for myself, number one, so that when someone asks me, I'm not giving like a regurgitated answer or the answer that everyone just tends to give. And I'm all, I also did it because I wanted to make it very... Um, relatable and understandable for the layperson, hence the shows, because the shows were, yes, I did call them TikTok with norms, digital drive with norms, but it was really to show and demystify that it's not this technical thing that people who are not in the industry think it is. You know, digital transformation, I suppose we'll talk about it during the course of the show, um, is not just tech. There's a lot to it than just the tech. So, and that's why I did them and that's why I do all these things. So it's cliche, but it's true. It's the love, it's the passion, it's the interest. No, I hear you. And it resonates <laughs> with me, right? <laughs> After all, we're both studying for the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. almost in a similar field of work, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's our passion that drives us. That's true. That's Definitely. so true. That's so true. So, Nams, I think you touched on a very important point as we, we start to go into the topic for today. And that is uh, digital transformation starts with leadership um, and the more conversations I have with various guests on the show and outside in the industry that's actually a critical enabler for success to happen absolutely I'm really keen to understand what's your definition of digital transformation 
Okay, and I love that you asked that. Um, and I love that I took the time to go into a deep study about it. And I think what's critical to maybe um, ascertain up front is that people often confuse digital transformation with digitization. And digital transformation for me is not just about the process of digitizing your processes or your application landscape within the business. That for me is digitization, where you're basically going to digitize what is maybe brick and mortar, or what is kind of paper-based. Digital transformation is really a mindset and approach to the business. It's got five components to it, in my opinion. The first component of it is thinking about business models. How do I, as a business, think about how to change and adopt my business model to allow me to transact in the digital economy or digital platforms? Okay, that's critical. If you are talking about digital transformation and you do not have a digital footprint in the form of some sort of a platform-based business, some sort of a digital marketing presence, some sort of an omni-channel strategy, then you don't have any idea what digital transformation is or you haven't started the journey of digital transformation in my mind. That's one. The second definition for me is that it has to be customer centricity. In a world where customers have got this device proliferation, where they want service at the tip of their fingers, it's critical for you as a business to say, how do I ensure that if Nomonde prefers to self-service herself through apps, if Nomonde wants high touch, you know, through talking to someone, if Nomonde wants to walk into a mall or a supermarket and there's a kiosk and she wants to be able to service herself and um, if no one goes to my website and there's a chatbot and she wants to talk to someone in that fashion am i enabling that kind of custom experience for no one day? you know because there's different types of no who have different preferences of engagement with different brands and so in a world where there's just you're really spoiled for choice for you to stand out, I mean, I think of someone like Chickas 6060, you know, and I've been so impressed by them because honestly speaking, I just I don't want to go to the grocery every now and then store to get this, to get that. It's, it's, it's time out of my schedule and I don't want to be doing that. And I love how they've just given you the option of, you know, going onto the Chickas 6060, being able to remember the things that you normally order and the convenience the swapping out methodology, if it's something that you didn't order um, or something you didn't like, it was maybe off, how they actually credit you and you just take a picture of the simplicity of all of that. So you've got to think about how do I service my customer segment well. And then thirdly for me is big data. Big data does matter. Why? Because, and I love this, one of my participants said, how do you know where to start as a business if you don't know what's going on in your business? And I feel like big data is a big part of, do you have a pulse check on what's happening in your business you know where is the data what is it telling you what systems are you using to monetize to leverage the data you're finding and that's the third the fourth is also the culture the culture of a business matters you talk about innovation you talk about you know experimentation you talk about failing forward you know you need to have a culture that embraces trying and doing new things a lot of the issues a lot of sort of established enterprises face is that, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? If there isn't a compelling reason for them to do things differently, like margin erosion or um, the market share is shrinking, oftentimes you find that they don't, they almost event, eventicize, they make, they event the innovation thing. We have a hackathon. We have, you know, innovation day, you know, eventing innovation. It shouldn't be an event. It should be something you do once off. It should be a culture. You know, and, and what I found in my study, and we'll talk about it, is some businesses actually even go as far as KPIing, KPIing innovation in the leaders' um, KPIs to say we need to 
breathe and live this and you've got to operate and run the business in that fashion. So for me, the fourth part and element was uh, the culture. And fifthly, digital transformation is about understanding how do you coexist in an ecosystem? Because what's happened in the advent of digital transformation is that, you know, I see this all the time, telcos are becoming banks, banks are becoming telcos, the lines are getting blurred, new fintech players, the conventional monopolies or oligopolies and industries have had to really rethink how do we remain competitive? And digital transformation talks about how do you collaborate in a digital ecosystem? So you've got to think about which business complements mine well. Some believe in an acquisition strategy where you buy, some will build, you know. But the point is, how do you exist within an ecosystem where you can be complementary and not always competitive? Because the digital era has reduced serious barriers to entry. And really the smart the ones who really apply themselves are the ones that are really going to win. So having been <clears throat> exposed to multiple uh, verticals and brands, mm. who are some of the brands that are seem to be getting it right? And what are some of the challenges on for those brands that are not? Is there a common denominator that you are observing? I mean, I want to talk about, maybe let me sort of ring fence it to a sector. Let me talk about the banks. And, you know, I look at a bank like FNB, and I think we, we all can agree that FNB has been really great in terms of innovating with, you know, digital products, you know, e-wallet, uh, geopayments, fantastic. Um, you've also got a bank like Time Bank, and they've just, they what we call digital natives, because they have no legacy. You have Discovery Bank, Discovery Bank, which is interesting because they've actually done a behavioral banking model, you know, from being an insurance company. So... When I look at these three banks, I'm like, they've all adopted a different strategy as to how they're going to go to market. And they've all leveraged their digital assets in doing so, you know, and in different ways. So, so FNP's strategy was we're going to lead from a digital products perspective and everyone else in the market will follow. Uh, case in point, e-wallets. Time Bank, I mean, they were just digital natives. So anyone else who's got a compelling value proposition of building or providing financial services, on the digital platform, well, you can think of Time Bank. So, so those guys thought of it differently. And I think uh, Discovery for me was really great from a business model perspective mm-hmm. because they leveraged the data they had. Um, I've read up that uh, Discovery in particular morphed the insurance business model into the spanking from their Vitality program. So they've done, they've done really, really well in terms of thinking of this business model approach of how do we monetize um, our business and operate in that sense. Guys were not doing it so well. If I'm talking, if I'm look, I mean, I don't want to name and shame anyone, but I, I feel like as a brand, and I won't mention them, but I mean, I've mentioned three good banks. I think as, 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 as a brand, you need to think about what are the market leaders doing? What are my customers demanding? And am I really meeting those needs? And what is my compelling preposition? Because I mentioned the three banks and all three of them have got something compelling and different that they offer you. You know, if it's the products you're after, the convenience of an app, if and be. If it's about behavioral banking where you're healthy, it's a lifestyle bank, really. That's what you're after. You go with discovery. If you're after just quick ease, no complications, just want to transact, you go for time bank. The other banks, you've got to think about, are they giving you a compelling reason from a digital perspective to want to bank with them. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, they'll give you the greatest interest rate for a house loan or a car, but I'm saying over and above that, even in the service they give you, do you feel there's a compelling reason for you to go with them? And I feel if I'm standing from a vantage point of, I'm this quintessential customer who's digitally inclined, 
I'm not really seeing a compelling value proposition for me to necessarily align myself with the other ones. So for me, that's what I think. I think that, that's how brands need to think. You can't be oblivious to what's happening around you or to the competitive landscape. Let's bring it back to leadership now. Do you believe that leadership has a part to play in the success and uh, talking about some of these case studies that you are picking up from your studies? What's not working well in terms of leadership? What What is the role of C-suite? Let's talk about what's the role of the CEO um, and how does he set the agenda for the rest of the organization, culture needs to be led by leadership. And you speak about it as in a business model, a, a business strategy. What is your group strategy that then gets um, filtered? You know, that waterfall effect that everybody in the organization speaks of the same page. Mm. From reading a lot of articles in terms of preparing for today's conversation, some of the things that I've seen happen where where failure is imminent is leadership then gives the instruction to say you know let's do digital transformation and and very often it goes to a few departments in the organization like the CIO or CTO offices but it's not actually spread across the organization and people so there's no change management mm-hmm. there's no upskilling mm-hmm. um, so there's this whole you know over investment in tech mm-hmm. but actually is it um, you know being used effectively are we getting the optimal impact and value out of the tech stack that we're investing in you know what what are you seeing from your perspective I mean it's a really good question and I mean I feel like I've got a very convoluted answer for you but I think the first thing is that you're absolutely right it is a leadership driven activity exercise. The reason why I did my PhD in digital transformation leadership is because I knew that the people who are responsible for driving this would be leaders. Now let's unpack on leaders. Who are the leaders? Yes, it's the CEO and the CEO and the C-suite team. The problem you often have or what I've found in the study is that first and foremost is the digital competence within the business itself. When I talk about competence, do people understand what we mean by digital transformation within the business to begin with? You know, because if you sit at a board level and you've got people from different sort of background skill sets, you've got lawyers, you've got accountants, you've got, you know, technical people, CIOs, um, HR people uh, and marketing, do, do, is there an understanding of what is digital transformation, what it means for us and in our context? Because it's very difficult for you to chart forth a vision for the business if there isn't a fundamental understanding of what that actually is and what it means. I've seen also that businesses go about in different ways. Some in a, at a board level will bring expertise and someone to come and speak on and talk to them about digital transformation. Some will hire consulting firms to say, please help us define and understand research this area, which is good. And that's a good investment in our view because it means that from a, an understanding perspective, you know, as a leadership team, we are, we are on the same page, which is critical, number one. Number two, you talked about what are then some of the challenges. And what I've seen is that once you've adopted that strategy of saying, let's at least have an understanding, or if you haven't, um, businesses will often hire your head of digital strategy or your head of you know, digital transformation. And it'll be that person's responsibility to then drive that within the business. And that can either be a federated model where you decide to have a champion within each division or it can be centralized. And I think centralization works best because there needs to be some form of unification and commonality, you know, at a business level, even though there are divisional nuances. Yeah. So now what happens is that when you bring in these external people, digital transformation heads, 
they often face the challenge of what I call digital. In fact, there are three challenges that I discovered. The first is digital denialism, digital deflation, okay, and digital distancing. Denialism is essentially when you hire someone who's a digital transformation expert and they come in and they share with you ideas, methodologies, approaches on how we can begin the digital transformation process, whether we start with the business models we have in the business, with this application landscape, with the infrastructure, or with the data, with the customer centricity and customer journey, they will decide and use their discretion. You know, to say, where's the business at and where do we start? And the denialism is really the business saying, yeah, do we really need that? <laughs> do we really need to do that? And I've seen it. I worked at a bank and I won't disclose it, where it was a high touch bank. Its strategy was, we are high touch. We're not high tech. Okay. Our value proposition is that people can call us anytime and get the service they need. But there was a champion in the bank who said, guys, these people are traveling. These people are digitally savvy and they've got alternative banks who give them the digital service. So if we don't catch up and become a high touch and a high tech bank, we're going to lose these customers. So he had to really showcase to them not only that you need to be on par, but also he was quite smart and he said, how about we also introduce what we call gamification to make sure that because, I mean, they targeted really high net worth individuals who have kids who like to play with devices. And, you know, let's introduce the money concept in a fun way through a digital platform so we can actually hook you in while you're still young. So I liked how he went about driving the digital denialism because, you know, the, the, that institution didn't feel like there was necessarily a need to have some sort of a digital offering for its customer base. Yeah. So that's that's the first kind of uh, digital resistance you would find. The second is what you call digital deflation, where they understand what you're saying about, OK, we need to digitally transform. We need to think about these variables that you've listed. We need to embark on the process. But it becomes a white elephant exercise. People aren't really invested. And the reason why people aren't really invested is a function of how have you as the digital agent or evangelist driven the process. There's what I call the LMX theory that I infused in my research. LMX theory is the leader member exchange theory. It talks about how every group or entity will have an in-group and an out-group. The in-group and the out-group talks about how do you influence or how do you become the in-group, the circle of influence, so that whatever initiative you're trying to drive does get by not only from the quote-unquote the boss, but the rest of the organization. And it talks about your ability. And of course, it's got other elements to it. But the, the aspect I focused on was being part of the in-group and getting the persuasion and the buy-in from the leader so you can actually drive this process meaningfully. And so the question I would ask this leader is, did you get buy-in from different divisional heads before you undertook the process of digital transformation? Did you sit down with the head of marketing? Did you sit down with the head of HR? Did you sit down with the head of you know, procurement and say, what does digital mean for you? What have you done? What are you currently using? Did you go on an inquiry journey to understand where they were before you started sort of positioning to them what they should be doing? And I think sometimes the problem is that people who come with the digital expertise don't do a good job of bringing people along the journey. And that's why you find this deflation where people, maybe because it was a, um, a mandate from the top that said we will and you should, but people won't really do it because of how you did it and how you didn't actually bring people along the journey. 
And then there's a digital um, resistance, you know, where, I mean, you talked about how people think whenever we go digital, people are going to lose their jobs. Um, people are no longer going to be, you know, needed in a department, in a division, because suddenly we've automated something. We're suddenly using a software for something that used to be done, you know, manually by somebody. Um, and it shouldn't be that, actually. You know, I think when we do have a situation where digital transformation for your division means that we need to then automate a process that was otherwise, you know, manual, what that actually does, and we should welcome that, actually, we shouldn't be resistant to that. We should welcome it because it means that instead of using your time on populating an Excel spreadsheet and working with tons and tons of macros in an Excel spreadsheet, you're now going to be deployed or you should be doing things that are a lot more sophisticated. You know, when we've automated the Excel spreadsheet process, really we should be paying you to analyze that data, draw insights from the data, using the data to inform other policies, how we go to market, how we can be a lot more efficient in other areas. So people shouldn't really be afraid of the automation process of anything. It's about how do you get better utility and productivity for the investment of those employees as opposed to employing them for you know, rudimentary tasks that could otherwise have been done um, with the software. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what I found. It does. I can completely resonate with all of those factors that you've mentioned. And you did miss out 1D. <laughs> you and oh, I spoke about it. Yes, which is remind me get it. It's digital Darwinism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good laugh about it. But it it is a thing because you know, it's a concept it's that says that businesses that don't actually adopt technology, they're not gonna be successful in the future. No. So no. um they need to adapt. Oh. Um and that adaptation comes with a number of different factors that they need to start considering but i think everything you've just said what it requires is a complete overhaul from the old ways of doing business to a new business model because i can actually see COVID was almost that you know what prior to COVID, we saw businesses struggling mm. right mm. because digital mm. transformation is not new mm. it's happening for the last decade mm. now mm. and why was that that pace of progress so slow mm. prior to COVID? Mm. Mm. and then you mentioned you know brands that during COVID had to do something quickly to survive like checkers 6060 mm. so m commerce in south africa is growing exponentially but we see other brands that's leading the way and what they're doing is leaving behind traditional brands and you know mm -hmm. what what mm -hmm. happens to the small and medium businesses in south africa i mean mm. they are really struggling corporates are so fortunate to get the support you know you mentioned consultants they can pay you know, external partners to, to do a lot of the work to help them mm. make the progress and, and the transition. But what happens to the SMEs in South Africa? I mean, I think to be honest with you, you know, um, I was just part of a, I went to a book review um, last night and, you know, just to deviate slightly, it was about, you know, why are we not a nation of South Africans? And the narratives that came up, there were a lot of, you know, why is this not happening in South Africa? Why isn't there accountability? Why isn't there? The focus, you know, in the narrative was that we're getting left behind. There isn't accountability. What are we meant to do? And I was, I had a, a penny drop in that moment and I realized, actually, guys, what people aren't realizing is that the beauty of the digital era is that information is available to everyone indiscriminately there are no information asymmetries where someone will say i didn't know if you didn't know any better in my view that for me is a, a choice that you make because if you're curious about something 
you can Google it. If you're curious about something, you can educate yourself about it. If you're curious about something, you can surely talk to one, two, three, four people to give you some perspective on a topic, on an area. And I feel like if anything, the time is so opportune for small businesses because number one, when it comes to, if you're saying, I know nothing about digital transformation or what it means to be digital, you simply have to go online and get perspective or educate yourself like you and I did. You know, we are professionals, we're seasoned in what we do, but we ourselves felt we just don't have that understanding. You know, no one told us to do it. We took it upon ourselves to say, let's embark on this journey of educating ourselves on what it actually means. Secondly, as a business, your job is to find opportunities. Where is a market opportunity, especially in the digital context? I mean, I work with another venture capitalist company, No More Capital. They specifically are funding businesses and you don't even necessarily have to have a contract in place. You simply have to have a viable uh, product that is digitally based, that is servicing the telco space, okay? So in other words, if you have a software-based business that maybe monitors power stations, I'm, being, I'm giving you an example that's hypothetical, you already have a company that's willing to put in money for you to say, what does it take for you to actually grow that business, number one, and capacitate it? And then number two, we already have access to market for you, you know, because our focus is telco. So we are certain we can give you business, you know, with the telcos we're affiliated with. Now, for me, if someone is really interested and serious about wanting to capitalize and find opportunity in this space, you simply honestly have to ask. Let's talk about the third part, enterprise supply development programs. Plenty of them. Again, you can affiliate yourself with the OEMs, for example, you know, MicroStrategy is an OEM, Microsoft, Huawei, HP, you name them, Oracle, they're all OEMs. If you feel like from a technology perspective, you don't know that much, but maybe I can partner with an organization that's established and be part of the ESD, you know, to give myself supplementary services. Because what I've also found, and I'm seeing a lot of, especially with SMMEs, is a lot of them are wanting to diversify and having technology type business within the entity. So you find a business that was traditionally engineering only or was maybe infrastructure focused or construction only, suddenly wanting to say, guys, I need to develop a technology arm within my business because I see the market opportunity. I see the value of actually going or offering some sort of a tech or digital service you know, because if I'm not, I'm getting left behind. So I think the messaging is the same, even from a, an, an entrepreneur's perspective. From a business perspective, we're saying if you're not on par with what your competitors are doing, you run the risk of being left behind. Same with entrepreneurs. If you think being an entrepreneur is all about having to have capital, having to have a store, physical store, you know, I mean, people are not even, I, mean, I was so amazed. Odds, odds. I was looking at Amazon, the FBA, FBA service, um, Shopify, how easy it is for you free, to go. Free tools. Exactly. Free tools, taking your, your product, taking it to market at a global scale. You don't even have to have your own warehouse. The Amazon service says, you give us the product, you know, we will do the order fulfillment for you. Okay, and take a margin out of that basic, basic sale. You know, so for you, and that's just like one. Amazon is like one. There's also like, you know, not Alibaba, but there was another Chinese one. I forget the name now. But the point is, you you simply have to just take interest in how can I monetize myself, my services. I mean, something as simple as even a YouTube channel. You can monetize YouTube. You know, having a channel on YouTube, Google AdSense, even on Instagram. You can even exactly start up a <laughs> online shop on Google. Anyway, all the platforms are available for you know to do your shopping. Exactly. And uh, you know what? Now is the best time for businesses to thrive. Exactly. In a digital economy. Absolutely. They, there should be no excuses. You're completely Absolutely. right. And I think what it requires is apply our minds, have a growth mindset, and start looking for opportunities because opportunity is not going to find you. you exactly. Have to go find it. <laughs> 
And I'm just thinking about two fintech companies because the fintech companies are doing so well in South Africa. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the best in the world if you had to compare them. Yep. And, you know, things like 10X, which is an investment company, they've been bought over by All Mutual now. And uh, Frank, I don't know if you know about Frank Investments. They've been bought over by uh, one of the big uh, corporates as well. So there's so so much room to grow and expand. And plus, there's no barriers to entry. This is it. So you can go global. Why, you know, contain yourself to a specific market? The opportunity is endless. And it's such an exciting time for businesses to thrive in this economy now. Absolutely. I want to go back to leadership in in that process of digital transformation. What would you say to leaders um, in closing in terms of, you know, three things that they can consider to make sure they're successful? At the end of the day, digital transformation is about revenue generation. It's about growth, right? Mm. It's about getting closer to your customers and Mm. building that meaningful relationships in real time. Mm. So everything you've said now is so valid to leaders and how they can actively champion this digital transformation journey. And it Mm. is a journey. Mm. It's not a destination. It's Mm. not a once-off thing. And how can they make it more inclusive Mm. to the organization at large. I hear you. I think, I think you know, I'm going to base my response on the engagements I had with my participants. So in my research, I've interviewed 18 participants. I interviewed a combination of CIOs, CFOs, and heads of, you know, digital transformation. And honestly speaking, what I can summarize is that it's critical for you, first of all, take an interest in what is digital transformation for your business. Because it is a contextually specific definition. It's not a one size fits all. You know, that's why I found even in my definitions from the different interviewees that they defined it differently because it means different things to different businesses with different digital maturity landscapes and appetites and cultures. You know, so they're, they're different variables. So take an active interest in saying, what does it mean for me? And I think a good litmus test is looking around you to see what are your you know, counterparts doing to give you a clue if you really feel like guys am on the right track or if I completely just lost the plot. That's a first. And I think the second one is that you've got to cultivate a culture of openness, um, experimentation and innovation. And a culture like that requires you to say, are we, how are we as a business constantly either trying new things or researching or finding new things? Because one of my interviewees came from a, a, an institution where, I mean, things like having knowledge workers, actuaries, research and development departments kind of lends the business to naturally wanting to always find new information and finding out new ways of doing things and um, wanting to optimize and get better. You know, and not all businesses are like that and not all businesses may need to have that level of investment. But I think it is important to create a culture um, of how do we embrace people, come up with ideas that are different, that take us a different place. And that can be done in different ways. Hackathons are not the way in my mind uh, of doing it because hackathon is an event. It's not a culture. A culture is a function of how do we do we do we try new things as a business, you know, um, sitting at that board um, talking about what are our plans for the year? What is that new thing that we're going to be doing? Who are we are going to invest in and, and how we're going to go about doing it? Honestly, it does boil down to that. Otherwise, you become reactive if you don't proactively take on the, the responsibility of saying, let's think about how we can be innovative and how we can be different and how we can start changing things up. And by the way, innovation doesn't have to be this new, big, novel idea. It can really be a function of continuous improvement. 
you know, how do we get better at? How do we get sharper at? How do we service our customers? So I think that attitude, that culture, that way of working is really critical in beginning to inculcate and build a culture of innovation and a culture of not being afraid of experimenting and of wanting to service our customers better and wanting to be better. You can't afford to be average anymore, secondly. Um, and I think thirdly, you must hire the right kind of people because all of this is not going to happen on its own. It is driven by people. Um, there were three answers that I found really compelling for my participants. The one said to me that, you know, no more days it's about having people who have got the pedigree, the experience and the skills, but you're also going to find people who maybe one at the right stage in their lives because that has a huge bearing. Um, a lot of them are saying we are finding a lot of sort of energy, a lot of ideation from young people. You know, they come in, fresh attitude, not jaded, not title stricken, you know, um, and they just come up with these new things, you know. And one of them said, I, I personally prefer to be around them, to work with them and take them everywhere that I go because I love the energy and the fearless attitude they have. So that's the one. The second one said to me, it's also about a person who has a personality type. So a lot of the time, I think certain roles may require an aptitude, you know, for a certain role. Um, but invest more in that with your leaders, you know, invest more in the type of aptitude that you want the people who will be leading your team to have. Um, and I found the Enneagram, by the way, to be like one of the best personality profiling tests, I think, that you must invest in because it is a personality type. Someone who is bold will make decisions, be decisive, but understand that there's consequences, that's balance it, and, and, and. So invest in that. And the third one then said something else. It said, it's also important to have someone who, who who won't live in a dream world. So don't live in a dream world and be too like, you know, have this wish list of things you want to do, um, but also not execute on the fundamentals leading to, you know. So so have that balance. Have a blend of the energy and the youthful. Um, have the right personality type, person at the right stage in their lives. And then also have a blend of, you know, um, being that visionary, because we in, in leadership as a discipline, we talk about visionary leadership. We talk about principle-based leadership. We talk about value-based leadership. All those attributes are important, but also in moderation. So have the vision, have the ethics. And the reason why we say that is because people buy into the person before they buy into the vision. Okay, so you have to embody and carry and convince and persuade and be, you know, as Mahatma Gandhi said, what you want the company to be. And then people will follow suit a lot easier if you embody that. So, yeah, sounds a bit philosophical, but I think that's what I found in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I think you hit the nail on the head because I, even in my studies, I'm looking at transformational leadership mm. and those speaks to the attributes mm. that you just mentioned now. Mm. It's mm. all of it. Mm. So you can't have just one set of skill set now. Mm. Even your C-suites need to be multi-skilled mm. and they need to be open to embracing new skill sets, new ways of thinking, mm. new ideas. Absolutely. All of that culminates into a successful company at the end of the day. So yeah, I think there's a lot to consider based on our conversation today. So thank you so much for sharing for uh, your passion and I can see it flow through in everything that you say and we wish thank you yes. all the best thank in you. I know you are going to submit your thesis soon. So good luck. Thank you. I Thank you. Be awesome. Cross. Thank you and so much. Thanks again. Hey? Thank you, Audrey. It's been lovely. Thank All you so right. much. Bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and to keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. 
follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.